welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Lever, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a mother to a 14-month-old daughter. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I will be bringing another interview episode to you. Um, And today I will be interviewing Kara Crawford, who is a home birth midwife, and she was one of the midwives that attended my birth in March of 2020. So I'm really excited to connect with her today, more about her personal story. So obviously she has lots of knowledge about midwifery, um, but mostly today we'll be talking about her personal experience of pregnancy, which she, um, her first pregnancy was when she was 17. So she had, um, a, a child at 17 and then 10 years later had her second child. And then a couple of years after that had her third child. So she will be talking here about her pregnancy, how her births were different, um, from the first child to the second and third. Um, and then also how the postpartum phase was, and a little bit about her experience of motherhood so far. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Kara. All right. So welcome, everybody. I'm here today with Kara Crawford, who is a home birth midwife, and she was one of the midwives that attended my home birth. So I'm really excited to have her here today. Um, So Kara, um, just to start off, how many kids do you have and what are their ages? Hi, Holly. Thank you. Um, so I have three kids and they are 17, 19, and 29. Wow. Um, I was thinking you had younger children. That's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> nope. My journey with mothering started when I was 17. Um, and that was, you know, interesting (laughs) to say the least. Um, yeah, I, I had an interesting childhood myself and, um, thought it was a good idea to have a baby at 17, (laughs) you know? what better way to feel loved and connected, but, you know, to have a baby. So, you know, I think, um, I was, you know, dating this boy who was also 17 and he was, um, very disconnected from his family life. Um, and in a lot of trouble in a lot of ways. And, um, we found each other and yeah, actually kind of decided to have a baby. I mean, you know, obviously not knowing (laughs) what we were actually doing at 17, but, 
I think the thought of having a, a little human that was ours to love was, um, sounded good at the time. So were you actively trying to conceive or you were just not um, particularly avoiding getting pregnant? We weren't particularly avoiding it. I mean, we, we weren't like, yeah, let's conceive a baby, but you know, in the throes of 17 year old passion, it was, it was a thing that was like, oh, we could have a baby. I think it, I think it was said, but it wasn't, it wasn't an active, like, you know, like we would now as adults and, you know, like, yes, let's conceive a baby. We have, you know, these things in place. It was, it was an emotional um, thought, I guess. Um, so what, I mean, so you were in high school at this time, right? So what was that like being pregnant in a high school setting and maybe some, you can talk about like some of the things that people said to you, whether it was adults or classmates or anything like that. Well, I had actually just recently dropped out of high school. So I was not in high school um, anymore. I wasn't actively in school. Um, my mom was not really very present for me at at this time in my life. Um, and my dad lived in, in Maine, he still does. And um, we were, when my parents divorced, when I was young, we moved to Connecticut where my mom is from and my dad lives in Maine. So my mom was very preoccupied with her life at the time when I was in high school. And um, I was very alone when I was in high school. Um, she was kind of, just doing her own thing, not really home. She actually wasn't home for several weeks at a time. And so I think that's where, you know, meeting this boy and having this relationship with him um, felt very adult-like at the time. Obviously it wasn't. Um, and so, yeah, some of the, the reactions were interesting. My friends were super supportive. They were, you know, thought it was so cool that Carol was gonna have a baby. Um, and my mom actually left Connecticut um, and moved away. She moved to another state and was pretty clear that I was not invited. So I lived with my aunt who was very supportive and sweet. And um, she did the best she could with, you know, suddenly her niece moving in and I helped her with her two younger kids. And she helped to guide me a little bit through my pregnancy um, the best that she could, I think, you know, with, with the situation. Um, so I was pretty alone through that process um, where I did have some friends who were, you know, supportive, you know, they were in high school. So they were doing their high school stuff like they should have been doing. So, um, yeah, so there was a lot of, a lot of surprises and interesting learning that happened in that pregnancy and that birth process. Um, I don't really remember my birth very much. Um, 
with him? Uh, just to go back to pregnancy, was it yeah. pretty like easy pregnancy? Did you have any symptoms or anything throughout your pregnancy? Um, I would say from my perspective, it seemed rather easy. I didn't really have any nausea. Um, yeah, I, you know, knowing as much as I do now about pregnancy and early pregnancy, I would say it was pretty easy. Um, I, I was going to Hartford Hospital Clinic because I was on state insurance and I, you know, didn't know any better than to like actively pick a provider to work with. So I was just going through a clinic and they were doing vaginal exams and ultrasounds at every visit and this teaching hospital. So, yeah. So, um, so at about six months and I was going to visits every two weeks, but because I was 17, I was considered high risk. And so at about six months, they discovered that I was six centimeters dilated and put me on bed rest, which, you know, I somewhat followed, but didn't totally, but I made it to 39 weeks pregnant. So I walked around six centimeters dilated for a few months before having my baby. Um, and interestingly at six centimeters dilated, they were still checking my cervix every couple of weeks. Yeah. So that was a very interesting experience. Um, but yeah, pregnancy was pretty, pretty easy. It didn't seem, it didn't seem difficult on my body or, you know, I didn't really even think about it too much. I think being a teen pregnant person, you know, it, you just don't, there's a lot of things that you don't think about that you think about later as a pregnant person, you know? Yeah. Um, and what about the birth? It, it sounds like you gave birth at Hartford Hospital. Were I did. Any, um, like it, I know that you, you said that you don't remember a ton about it, so it's fine if you don't really remember, but um, anything that you can recall about, like if there were interventions or if you, felt um, seen and heard in that process or if there was anything you felt like they were kind of not very respectful especially because you were a teen um, I don't mean to like put words in your mouth I'm just curious about if you yeah feel anything yeah yeah um so I remember the I remember some of it I don't really remember a lot of my labor and the the actual birth because um so you know, I didn't really know what labor was going to be or what birth was going to be. So I think it was just, I was just immediately pushed, you know, here's some pain medication and here's some, an epidural. And of course I, you know, took it. So the pain med that they gave me was state all. And that's why I don't remember my birth, my labor and my birth, because I was pretty, pretty out of it. Um, and then an epidural. And so I have some interesting like visual memories of the room, but it's not, um, it wasn't 
Right. It wasn't that what was actually in the room, I don't think, knowing again what I know about a birth room and, and such. So it was a really like, you know, a pretty high experience because and not not oxytocin high, but stayed all high, like pretty distorted. Distorted is a good word. Yeah. So um so my baby was actually born with a cleft lip and palate, um, which <laughs> was not picked up on in the ultrasounds. So I didn't know that that was going to be what was, um, the case when he was born. And, um, it wasn't the reaction from the nurse and the doctor wasn't particularly awesome when he was born, like the nurse, when, when his, his head was born, she had a very loud gasp. And so that's kind of like the first thing that I remember from, from my birth is this nurse's gasp and me wondering, you know, oh my gosh, what, what's wrong? What's wrong with my baby? Um, so that was interesting. I had really hoped to be able that was one thing about my pregnancy I think that was interesting is I really wanted to breastfeed you know it's really really like oh I can't wait I really had this connection with this baby like oh I just can't wait to breastfeed and hold my baby and it's going to be so great and and then baby was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate and um so that changed a lot um, what I know about that now is that, you know, pumping is obviously a thing that I could have pumped and given baby breast milk, but that wasn't even given to me as an option. Um, so it was really just like, here's some formula and a special bottle. And, you know, this is how you feed a baby with a cleft lip and cleft palate. So that was a, you know, a few days of, um, learning, um, some things I never even could have imagined. And then at three days old, he, it was discovered that he had a colon issue. So it was, he, the, he had to have a transverse colon atresia, which um, was another, um, so the cleft lip and cleft palate are midline defects. And so the colon situation was also a midline defect. So he had some, some midline birth defects. Um, so he had to go right into surgery and have surgery. And um, that went really well for him. And he spent the next few weeks in the hospital. Um, so that was obviously another challenge. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people who've had, you know, babies with situations like this know most hospitals don't really give space for women to stay with their babies in the hospital if they're in the NICU. It's kind of like a big room with a lot of babies and you might have a rocking chair, maybe a cot or something like that. But at this time it, it wasn't offered to me to stay with him. So... Um, I was taking a bus back and forth from the hospital to home a couple of times a day to see him. Um, 
so yeah so that that was a lot of challenge in that those first weeks yeah yeah i'm i'm yeah just feeling the weight of that so thank you for sharing that i'm i'm curious to know um when you I just can't imagine going home after giving birth and not having my baby with me. Um, but maybe you can talk about like any any emotional things that were coming up around that time or like how you were physically feeling, um, you know, maybe some, anything that you did that you found helpful in that process, um, whether physical or emotional. And then also, um, when did he actually come home to be with you? How, how old was he? Um, so I, I was given a lovely um, episiotomy during the birth. So that was another thing to kind of manage as I was going back and forth on a bus um, to the hospital. Um, he was in the hospital for three and a half weeks. Um, I honestly, Holly, don't really know how I managed it. I didn't have any tools and I didn't have really any support system. So I think honestly, my management of it was kind of checking out, you know, just like in survival mode. Like, I'm going to do this thing and it's okay. And I'm just going to go back and forth and I'm going to hold it together. And I just need to like get through this period of time and get my baby home. Um, so there wasn't, There, I, don't, I don't really have much else to say about it because there, there wasn't anything else. Like there wasn't anything special that I did for myself. I didn't have very good nutrition. I was eight, I had turned 18 um, just before I gave birth. So I was, I was 18 at this time. And, um, you know, 18 year olds don't eat that well. <laughs> so I'm not really sure. Don't think I was really eating that well either. Um, what about your boyfriend? Was he? Were you guys living together at that point, or how did that work? He was in prison. Wow. Yeah. So he, early in my pregnancy, um, he, yeah, went to prison. He had been in and out of juvenile detention centers and stuff like that throughout his teens. And um, so earlier in my pregnancy, he'd been, had like several court cases open for all kinds of different things like assault and burglary. And so um, it really caught up with him at 17. He ended up in adult, adult prison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you were living with your aunt at, at this point? At the time of birth, I had actually moved into my own apartment. 
Um, so I actually moved into my apartment less than a week before giving birth. Yeah, I had gotten myself early in pregnancy, got myself on like the section eight housing list and got into an apartment just before, just before birth. Yeah. Wow. I can only imagine what that time is a lot. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a substantial age gap, 10 years between your first baby and your second baby. So maybe you can, yeah, you can talk about, um, if you want to talk about motherhood now, like after the transition from like non-motherhood to like being a mom, or you can talk about motherhood, like at the end of getting through all of your pregnancies. Um, if there's anything right now that you want to share about what changed in you, um, or how, I mean, obviously your life changed hugely after having this baby. Yeah. Um, and then how, kind of how that led into your second pregnancy, which I'm assuming was with a different partner, but I, I'm not totally sure, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so that was, you know, obviously a very challenging first baby experience. Um, and fast forward a bit. Um, I went and traveled around the country with my little one and um, we landed in Colorado and in Boulder. And that's where I met the dad of my two other, my teens now. Um, and we, we were pretty happy and living together. We decided to move from Boulder back to the East Coast. And um, about three years into our relationship, got pregnant with my 19-year-old. So it was 10 years. And um, yeah, so I knew <laughs> that I definitely was doing things very differently than I did with my first. Um, and so I chose to have a home birth and um, we were living in Maine and I found an absolutely lovely um, midwife up in the old town area. Um, and at that time, actually, I had been doing doula work for a couple of years and I'd taken a course in homeopathic medicine and been playing around a lot in herbalism over the, over those years before getting pregnant. And, um, also had read spiritual midwifery a hundred times. Um, this was, you know, pre-internet. So my knowledge really came from a small handful of books that I had gotten hold of about midwifery and birth and spiritual midwifery was definitely my most important resource, um, for learning about birth and physiologic birth and the birth stories in spiritual midwifery were just sang to me. Um, 
And so with this pregnancy, this second pregnancy, I had zero intervention. Um, I didn't even have an ultrasound. I think I had one round of blood work drawn. Um, you know, I didn't, I chose to not do things like the gestational diabetes screening. I chose to not do, actually, I don't think that group B strep was even, screening was even a thing back then. Maybe it was, but I don't remember. Um, I'm sure I would have declined it. <laughs> it was, it was really just more important to me to be fully in my pregnancy and not have any intervention, any fear. I felt like with all of the intervention that I had in my pregnancy, my first pregnancy and, you know, all of those ultrasounds and they didn't tell me anything about my baby having some birth defects. I thought, well, I'm not going to have any ultrasounds with this baby. Then if I can do that, then whatever, if there's anything that comes up with this baby, I can do, I can handle it. Did, do you know why it were, was the ultrasound technology just not as advanced then and they couldn't see it? Or do you think they were specifically withholding that information? I actually just think they couldn't see it. Um, I mean, maybe they were withholding the information, but, you know, again, I was like, I was so like, just focused on like my fight mode, right? To just be in survival mode that I didn't stop to really think about it for a long time about my first birth experience. Um, so yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but then yeah. so second pregnancy, you were having no interventions. And no. then, and did, you didn't have any symptoms or any um, anything of of note. I did with that pregnancy. I did. Yeah, I had a good, healthy amount of first trimester nausea, like really awful, and some really heavy um, like smell aversions, um, like the smell of anything was really intense. One of my biggest memories of that was we had dogs and the smell of the dog food was the worst. It was like, it just was so gross. So absolutely gross. Um, but that was it. I mean, I felt generally pretty good throughout that pregnancy. I mean, aside from the nausea and the, the smelling of things. Yeah. And so the, the midwife that you were, it was a midwife, right. That mm -hmm. you were with in Maine, um, were they, they were on board with the no intervention thing, or was there any pushback from anybody around you about that decision or was it kind of supported? No, nobody gave me any pushback. Um, my midwife was super supportive. She asked me what I wanted to do about things. And, um, she, she honored that fully. Yeah. She was really, really amazing in that way. Very like, um, very motherly. And, you know, she, she was 
older. She was probably in her fifties or so um, then and very motherly and kind and gentle with me. Just what I needed. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. And then in terms of like preparing for your home birth, was there anything like you mentioned reading spiritual midwifery, um, were, were there any other like practices or herbal type things or anything that you did, um, or like setting up the room or anything that you did in particular that, um, you found particularly useful? I didn't, I mean, I, I did set up the house. Um, I was, I thought I wanted to have a water birth because I love water so much. And so I, I bought, I think this was even before they had like water birth, birth tubs, like we do now, like you had. Um, so I bought like a blow up kitty fishy pool, like a, you know, big giant one. It was like, I remember it was in my, like kind of in my kitchen dining room. They were like, oh, the rooms are open. So it was kind of in between the two rooms. And so we did that. We did it. We did a test run and, um, and which seemed lovely. And, um, we kept it really, you know, my partner at the time kept it so steamy warm and, um, that was really lovely. Um, I remember collecting like baby clothes and that was really therapeutic for me. Um, yeah, I think just throughout that pregnancy, I didn't really do anything special as far as, you know, childbirth education classes or um, I went to the chiropractor often that was really important for me to go to the chiropractor. Um, oh, that's right. I was going to the chiropractor because I was having some sciatic pain that was pretty intense. Um, and going to the chiropractor was a nice treat for me. Was it like Another? a specific, or sorry, um, like a okay. special kind of chiropractor that specifically worked with pregnant women or? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was this guy, I don't remember his name, but he had, um, it was my first experience with going to the chiropractor too. I'd never been to a chiropractor except for in pregnancy. And he had the special table that your belly, like it would drop down a little bit. So my belly could be um, on the table too. And yeah, he, he did, he was really knowledgeable actually with pregnant bodies. And so that was really helpful. And it was a treat for me because I wasn't doing any other, anything else particularly special for myself, except for just internally feeling into my body and feeling that I was, um, I was feeling so confident in my body with this pregnancy. And so I think that was probably the most important thing that I did was just really being, um, really felt really confident in my body and in my my ability to birth without anybody doing anything yeah I've, I found that with reading spiritual midwifery too that it it did kind of feel like there's not really a lot you have to do your body's knows you know 
Yeah. Um, so if you can talk about that birth, um, you know, anything that you want to share about, and then if you can also get into the early postpartum phase, um, if you had any support around you, I, I'm imagining that this partner was around, um, and yeah, like any, anything that you did to heal after, um, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this birth was quite lovely. I labored at home. Um, I had a whole team of women around me. So I had my midwife, but I had two doulas who I had been working with actually. And so we were very close friends. And then I had a friend of mine also present and then my partner. Um, and I remember just being really, I mean, I was really in labor land. Like I remember walking around my house and feeling just totally uninhibited with, you know, not wearing any clothes and just being very open and not caring at all and just allowing my labor to happen. My labor started about, I would say about 5, 5.30 a.m. It was just before my alarm went off to get my son on the school bus. And um, so I got up, got him breakfast, got him off to school. And then um, interestingly, the night before we'd had like a major snowstorm and um, in Northern Maine, they don't cancel school for major snowstorms. Kids go to school anyways. So it was just absolutely beautiful outside. And um, so I called everybody over and told them what was going on. Again, pre-cell phones, there was no texting. It was making a bunch of phone calls. And um, so everybody came over and I labored all day and had beautiful support. And my sweet girl was born at 2.50 p.m., um, 10 minutes before my son got off the school bus. <laughs> so I was like this perfectly timed, like, all right, we're gonna do this in this time. <laughs> and uh, I gave birth on the toilet. I needed to push on the toilet. I actually spent quite a bit of time in the bathroom um, on the toilet. And, um, I had an incredible fetal ejection response. So it was really, really fast. And Can you describe what that is? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know a little bit, I've heard the term before, but I'm, I'm just interested to hear. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, I went from contracting labor contractions, like my cervix opening to my body, literally in ejecting my baby. And that's typically what that means is, is you're, you're not like, if somebody had told me not to push, I, I was not in control of it. It was my uterus and my body, like, pushing the baby out. I'm not sure that I even really had to add much to it. It just happened so fast. And I, I, in my memory, and this isn't the case with everybody who has a fetal ejection response. Um, 
but in my case, I don't even think it was like with contractions. I don't think I had like a contraction and then a space and then a contraction and then a space. I think it was just all in one big swoop, like really fast. So that did you, did you have any tearing or because you don't have to push, does it just kind of like the baby just kind of slides out or is, yeah. I tore really badly, actually. Um, because I, I mean, one, I think it was because it was so fast and on the toilet, she was nine pounds, 14 and a half ounces. So she was super chub chub. And, um, I also think, I mean, I know that my previous, um, episiotomy opened up. Yeah. So that was, um, awful. Um, because I had had such a horrible experience with the episiotomy and the suturing that I'd had. My midwife at the time was like, listen, I, I really think you should go to the ER to be sutured. And I declined. I said, no, no, I, I'm not going to the ER. I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not doing it. So I stayed in bed for probably two or three weeks trying to let those tissues heal. Did your midwife do some suturing or, or no? She actually was not comfortable with suturing at all. So um, that's why she was really recommending that, that I go. So yeah, so I didn't have any suturing with my second baby. And so, yeah, so you were in bed for two to three weeks. Were there any other specific things that you did? Um, you know, like padsicles or um, specific foods or teas or anything? Yeah, I mean, I think at that time I was being fed pretty well. I'd had lots of visitors and family members who came up from Connecticut to help out. And, um, and my dad came down from, because he was a little bit further north. So he came down to visit and take care of things. And my partner was really helpful in taking care of me. And thankfully my oldest was 10. So he was, you know, a pretty self-sufficient kiddo, you know, could take, take care of himself and not like a little toddler where it can be a lot, a lot of work. Right. Um, my midwife was making me, um, big Mason jars of St. John's work, um, infusions that I was doing sits baths with. Um, and so I was doing that about once a day. I would sit in the tub with um, a lot of St. John's wort infusion, which I think was really helpful. Um, yeah, and I just, I just basically stayed in bed and learned how to nurse, um, which also had a, a good amount of challenge with it. Um, what in particular um, was, yeah, most challenging about that experience? Well, um, she's got a good tongue tie and lip tie. And so we struggled with that 
um, yeah, engorgement and a lip tie and a tongue tie. Yeah, got pretty challenging. And did that eventually sort itself out or did you have to do anything for her? Oh, it, it sorted itself out. It did. Yeah. It sorted itself out. Um, and I wasn't offered anything. I think this was, you know, I didn't know of anybody else that had struggled with this. Um, and my midwife didn't either. She didn't really know anything about tongue tie or lip tie. Um, or if she did, it was very little. It's not like the information that we have now about tongue tie and lip tie and breastfeeding um, and how to, you know, there wasn't any offer of revision or, um, you know, never mind laser, but like even with a scissor revision or anything. Um, so it was basically just work with it, you know. Um, so that's what I did. I just struggled. I had a good, probably month to month and a half of really intensely cracked, awfully sore, bleeding nipples. And, um, but my girl gained weight, great. And I didn't have any problems with her transferring milk. I, I had a good oversupply that I think was because of the tongue tie and lip tie. Um, which isn't ideal, but that was helpful, better than having an undersupply. Um, and then, yeah, we went on to have a really great breastfeeding relationship for over two years. So yeah, it worked itself out. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you conceived your third child like it, shortly after that or? Yep, two. You were still oh. breastfeeding or? I had just stopped breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, you know, I'm very fortunate. I don't have any trouble conceiving um, babies. Um, and so, yeah, I had just stopped breastfeeding and conceived my third. Um, and we had been living in Vermont when I conceived um, and <laughs> decided to move back to Connecticut when I found out that I was pregnant with my third because I had more of my family here. And so I was just like, I can't, I can't do this without my family around like to have another baby. So we made that decision and um, found some really great midwives here in Connecticut. And um, so with this third baby, I, I had just about the same pregnancy symptoms and stuff I did with my, my second. Um, good bout of nausea, um, smells were really bothersome and awful. Um, but again, felt pretty healthy and carried my baby pretty pretty easily. Um, this time I still went to the chiropractor quite a bit and introduced a little bit of acupuncture too. So I did have a little bit of acupuncture during that pregnancy, which was so helpful. It was so great. Um, and still chose to have no interventions. Um, so no ultrasounds, 
um, no testing of any sort, just only just minimal blood work. Um, and my midwives here were super supportive of that. They just really understood and um, let me choose what I needed. One thing I, I forgot to ask about the, so you were 39 weeks when you gave birth to your first child. And then how far along were you in the other two pregnancies when you gave birth? Yeah, so with my second, um, she was born four days before my due date. So my due date was actually Christmas and December 25th and she was born December 21st. And my third was 10 days late. 10 days past my duty, which was, that was just so hard because I had gone before my due date with the other two. And so I thought for sure with my third baby, I was going to go, you know, either just before on my due date. And I'd had lots of prodromal labor for those like, you know, good 10 days. Um, I had to surrender to all of it. Um, yeah. He yeah. Was, Go ahead. He was actually born on um, earlier in my pregnancy. Um, one of my very, very, very close friends passed away, which was really, really difficult. And um, so about my due date is when the prodromal labor really started to kick in and gosh, every single day I thought, oh, this is it. I'm going to have a baby. And I didn't. Um, but I started having some really vivid, intense dreams of my friends that passed away earlier in my pregnancy. She was really visiting me in these dreams and, and just really just being by my side and asking me to just hold on, hold on. And I remember having these like <laughs> dream conversations with her, like, I can't, I can't do it. This is too hard. I just want to have a baby. And she said to me, like, you're so silly. My birthday is coming up. You know, you're going to have your baby on my birthday. And I thought, that's so far away. I can't wait until you have, <laughs> until your birthday. And sure enough, I had my baby on her birthday. Wow, that is so wild. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Beautiful and awful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember, but my daughter was 10 days late also. <laughs> so, yeah. but I had nothing to compare it to. So I can yeah. imagine that, you know, if you've before experienced going early, how frustrating it would be to go late. Did you have normal or regular periods throughout your entire life? like pretty much on the dot, no, no issues there? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, there was a, a period of time, um, where I didn't, but, um, so I'll back up a little bit. I had a pregnancy after my first son. Um, he was just under a year old and I was pregnant again with this, his father, he had gotten out of prison and 
I got pregnant and um, I had uh, a 20 week pregnancy loss. And um, which ended with a pretty intense um, DNC. And um, so after that, for about a, a year, maybe even a little bit more than a year, I bled every two weeks really heavily. Um, so I would, I would, it was kind of like a 28 day cycle, but it, but it wasn't. So I would bleed really heavily. And then two weeks later around the ovulation time, I would bleed again, really heavily. And then two weeks later, I would, I would bleed again, really heavily. Um, and that went on for a while and then it just resolved itself. And I went back to a 28 day cycle. I was pretty distrusting of the medical establishments by that time. So I didn't ever follow up with anybody to ask them like, Hey, this thing is happening and what's going on. I just, I just let it happen and was hopeful for a while that it would just resolve. And just, I think I felt, I think that was kind of the beginning of me feeling a lot more deeply into my body and, um, and trusting it. And so I, I, I really began to just think, you know, okay, I'm going to just trust this process and, and let it happen. And, um, was also introduced to meditation about that time after that pregnancy loss. And I had had a lot of meditation with my body. So. Yeah, I think in this culture in particular, we're so quick to kind of jump on like, what do I need to do to fix this thing? Um, and it, I mean, it's awesome that we have options of ways to, to treat certain things, but it, it is true that sometimes just listening to what your body's asking for is the best sort of treatment for a lot of things. Um, so we also, um, I don't think we've quite finished with the third, preg the third birth. Mm -hmm. So you were 10 days late and um, was your labor any different or um, any, any other things that you want to share about the postpartum period with, with that birth? Yeah. Um, so, so my labor was once it finally actually started um, was about five to six hours. Um, I had my other two kiddos go um, with my aunt. So once they left the house, um, I only had a few hours. My midwives got there and um, were pretty, pretty minimal in their checking. Um, and I don't mean checking as in cervical checking. I mean, checking like with the Doppler to listen to the baby. Um, but I, again, when I had a pretty pretty good labor land going. So interestingly, I don't really remember a lot about that labor, but it was my own hormones that were kicking in. Um, and I also felt so good about labor and birth that I had, I had pretty much just kicked everybody out of the room. So I labored by myself for several hours. And, um, and then 
I remember at one point, my midwife from the other room goes, Kara, are you pushing? And I guess I must have started pushing and she could hear me, you know, bearing down. Um, I didn't have the same response as I did with my last birth. I mean, I, I had a good, um, a good pushing response, but it wasn't as intense as that that crazy fetal ejection situation. Um, so I kind of just came out of that and I was like, oh, I guess I am pushing. And um, so they, they helped me over to my bed. And I think within a few pushes, my, um, my baby boy arrived and um, my partner got to catch, which was really cool. They were really, really awesome with um, facilitating him catching. And um, so I was on my bed and on my hands and knees and they, and they, they helped really facilitate that. And I have pictures of it, which was really awesome too, to see after, you know, my birth, but that, you know, he, you know, bawling, tears are streaming down his eyes and catching his baby. So, um, and so postpartum, um, postpartum was a little bit easier this time because I, I tore with this birth, but I didn't tear as badly, um, because of the, the healing that I'd done with my second birth. Um, I don't know, it just facilitated the birth of my third baby a little bit easier. My tissues were, I don't know, I guess maybe that episiotomy, the way it healed and then healing for my second birth just lent to a different kind of healing in my perineal tissues. Um, and because I was here, I had a lot of family around. And so, um, you know, people were basically like, taking my daughter every day and helping get my son on the bus and feeding me and um, helping me in a lot of ways. My partner did go back to work really quickly after having the baby, like just within a couple of days. And so um, I think I could have had a lot more help than I did, but it was, it was okay. I mean, now that I work with people and, and talk with them about their postpartum and what could be most helpful, I think I definitely could have set myself up better, um, but it's okay. It was okay. Yeah. Breastfeeding was really, really challenging with this baby. Really challenging. Did Incredible. he also have some ties or? Yeah. Yeah. He's lip tie and tongue tie. So you can see the theme in my, in my babies with midline situations happening. Yeah. Yeah. So did you um, end up breastfeeding with him or did you go a different route? Yeah. No, I, I stuck it out. Um, yep. I stuck it out. Uh, I didn't know anything about, again, not really about that. It was the lip tie and tongue tie that was really causing the problem. Um, I didn't really figure that out for a few more years after that. Um, 
but I had just a really awful case of thrush with him. So that took a long time to work itself out, but I did, I just stuck with it. And I wasn't in my mind, there wasn't another option. There was, it was just, no, I'm going to breastfeed my baby and this is the way it's going to be. And I'm not going to do anything different. Um, so yeah, did you that's use what we did. anything like on your nipples? Did they have like any kind of nipple cream at that time? Or was that not really something that was around at that point? I think the only thing I used was Lansinol. Um, you know, the lanolin stuff. I mean, gosh, we weren't even like using coconut oil the same way we are now, you know? Um, and I actually, knowing what I know now, I don't think that the lanolin was actually a great idea for thrush, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there was also the house that I was living in at that time had a really healthy dose of black mold, which I didn't know about for a few months down the road, um, you know, a few months past birth that we were having a really intense mold issue in the house, um, which I think was not helpful in that situation. Um, yeah, so to get into anything you want to share about motherhood. Um, I guess what I'm most interested in hearing from women is about how it has changed them and also how you maintain like feeling like you are your own person you're a mother and you're also the other things. Um, I think that's, yeah. And especially because you're a midwife, I mean, I have no idea how you set that up with childcare and, and it being kind of like inconsistent, the hours that you're needed. Um, so anything that you want to share about like things that you've learned along the way that, that like maybe didn't work and how you've shifted things to be a little bit more workable for you specifically. You know, it's interesting when you have a baby at 18 and then, you know, have a couple more babies later, how motherhood shifts in it, you know, is so interesting um, because I grew up with my baby growing up. And so I think that in my, with my first for those first 10 years I had a good mothering instinct but I also was learning how to be an adult at the same time and would kind of be thrown back into wanting to be my age and a teenager and hanging out with friends. And so a lot of the times when he was little, I was trying to do both. Um, you know, there were always parties happening and that sort of thing. And, you know, so I would like bring him with me to a party and not in the same 
way that my friends were staying at parties, but you know, he was like, you know, kind of called him my little sidekick for a long time. Cause he was just like with me everywhere. Like I didn't have family members where I was like, Hey, can you babysit while I go out? It was just like, he was just with me all the time. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like I was traveling for a while, for a couple of years actually. And, um, and so, you know, he was like my little sidekick through that, through traveling. And, you know, he was probably about, he was about five, I would say, is when I really, I really decided to put on a different type of mothering hat and said, okay, I have to do something different. Um, and that's when I moved from Colorado back to Maine is, is I knew that I wanted to, to be a different kind of mama. And, um, and so that's when I started, um, community college and, um, working a lot. I was working a lot in Colorado, but it was a different something shifted in my mindset. Um, so then, you know, fast forward, I guess, to having my second baby, I was starting to learn a lot more about being more of a mindful parent, um, being a more patient parent. Um, I don't think I was really modeled that as a kiddo of myself. And I wanted to be really, really present. Um, like I had, you know, mentioned when I was pregnant with my first and my mom wasn't super present for me as a teenager. I knew that I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, so that's when I decided that I was going to homeschool. So I homeschooled my kids. My oldest homeschooled a couple times, but because he started in public school, it was a lot harder for him to come into homeschooling, but he tried it actually a couple times. Um, and then I homeschooled my other two up until they were freshmen in high school and they decided to go to high school. Um, and I think part of that was me making a conscious decision to homeschool and part of it was kind of a trauma response. Um, to keep them home and keep them close and to be the type of parent that was um, just incredibly involved as opposed to letting anybody else do all the work. I really took it on. Um, and so it's even changed, you know, even more in the past couple of years since I've had these teenagers who are learning how to be their own adults and really learning how to be there, but to also take a step back and let them do their thing and um, let them make their mistakes, but let them be strong and make their decisions and try to guide them 
Um, my daughter asked me a few years ago um, to not offer advice, which was, you know, that's really hard as a parent. <laughs> and it was one of my biggest life lessons is to not offer advice, you know, to just, she's like, I just need you to listen. Don't offer any advice unless I ask. And so that's been really helpful because she, she comes to me and she talks to me a lot. And, you know, my, my, all my kids do, you know, they're pretty open with me. Um, sometimes a little too open, but <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, so it's been interesting because it's, it's lent um, a lot of healing for me. It, that's taken a long time, you know, since my um, 17 year old self. And, you know, even, even before being 17, you know, 16, 15, 16 ish, um, as a teenager, uh, parenting them has, has brought a lot of healing to those places that, um, I really needed a lot of healing. Yeah. I've been, uh, listening to so much stuff about parenting lately podcasts and, and reading some things and they talk a, a lot about um just like that when you get triggered by your child and obviously I'm in like the very early phases but even just like her having a tantrum or crying like the reason that that triggers something in you is because you're kind of like reliving yourself as that also and that's just been such an interesting experience. Um, so were you working as a midwife when they were young or is that something that you started to do more like one, oh, but you were homeschooling. Yeah. So maybe tell me about how that worked with like also homeschooling your children a lot of the time too. Yeah. Well, I started my doula work. So doula was doula work was a good introduction to, to midwifery. Um, I started that like a long time ago. Um, and my partner was pretty, he was really supportive of that. Um, even though he was working during the day, I could, my mom was pretty supportive. And so I could bring my kids to my mom or she would come to my house. Um, my partner worked during the day and then I worked at night. I was waitressing and bartending for a long time. And, um, so that was like the beginning of it was asking family members to, to help out. Um, and they were all really supportive of that. I started my midwifery journey in 2011, um, going to a, a little program, um, in Amherst mass. And that started off, you know, pretty slowly so I could manage the kids and schoolwork at the same time. Um, my schoolwork, but their schoolwork. Um, I will say my style of homeschooling was pretty relaxed. So um, we were really more unschoolers, um, which 
made it a lot easier because we we went with the flow a lot more often you know we were out schooling a lot we weren't we weren't sitting in the house with a curriculum that we had to follow and a really strict schedule where I you know it was it was more a lot of play and a lot of fun and so you know if I had to go to a birth or something like that it was okay because it didn't it didn't interrupt the schedule that we didn't have um so and they were learning a lot along the way you know about about what I was learning and um so eventually it it did get more difficult <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why they chose to go to school is because then I was working a lot more and um my attention was a lot more split um, once I started getting to be a busier midwife and taking on more responsibility um, in my, my practicing and in my apprenticeship. Um, and so, yeah, they decided to go to school as freshmen, both of them did. And, um, the school actually asked my daughter, like when she started school, we were having this meeting and they're like, why would you, it sounds like you had a lot of fun while you were homeschooling, like, and you learned a lot and you had a lot of freedom. Like, why would you choose to come to school? My daughter said, I really just needed some structure. <laughs> so we, we always want what we don't have, right? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not super structured at home, you know, in a good way. I thought it was a good way anyways. It was fun and playful and. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like now she's just seeking out something different. And I think that's kind of what you do at that age anyways. You know? Yeah. And it, and that was a, an important part of my parenting journey was, you know, in that time, because she's the older one. So she chose to go to school before my other one. Um, that was a big part of my healing, you know, as a, as a mama, because I had chosen to homeschool to be in control, but that's kind of a strong term for how I was feeling. Like I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be incredibly present. I wanted to have fun. I also didn't really agree with public education as a system. I really saw there were other ways to do it, to have fun and allow imagination to come on to, you know, to come into play as much as possible. And, um, we really were able to get, you know, deep dive into some really beautiful books and lessons and stuff like that. And so when she chose to go to school, I had to really dig deep. It was very difficult for me to let her go. Um, I felt like I just wasn't doing a good job as a mama, um, if that meant she, if she wanted to go to school, you know, 
or that I wasn't going to be a part of that anymore, you know, that she was going to be getting that from somewhere else. And so it was really heartbreaking and also really beautiful, <laughs> you know, to let her go. Um, was beautiful to allow her to make that decision for herself and to trust her and know that she made a decision that was, you know, she was able to tell me what she really needed. And, you know, we were able to talk about it. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of work for me to work through those feelings of, and then there was all the feelings about public education, <laughs> which is also very challenging for me. Yeah, I can just hugely relate to a lot of what you're saying. And I went to public school and I, I do think a lot of my decisions so far as a parent have been kind of reactionary to like what I didn't have or the way that I wanted things to be. So it's just, it's really interesting to hear you reflect on that. Um, so I guess the last place that I, I want to go is if you can just talk about, um, I mean, if you want to talk about your, your practice, um, you know, like if you want to talk about where people can find you if they're interested. Um, so we're in Connecticut for anybody that's listening that might not be in the US um, or in the state of Connecticut. So Kara um, is a home birth midwife. And so, yeah, if you happen to be local, then you can find her. Maybe you want to share about like your website or anywhere else people can find you. Yeah. Um, so I am practicing with another midwife and we have, our practice is, is loosely based out of New Haven. Um, we go all over the state. Um, so our office is in New Haven, let's put it that way. Uh, we really are traveling all over. Um, and the name of our practice is Circle of Life Midwifery. Um, we have some transition coming up pretty quickly. My midwife partner is, um, has decided to take a little bit of a different turn in her career. So she's going to stop attending births um, at the end of this year. And so I will be taking over the practice um, solely. And um, so, yeah, I'll still be practicing out of New Haven and at least for a little while. And then we'll kind of see what twists and turns happen after that. I'm not really sure. Um, trying to just really stay open. And um, we're doing a really beautiful job of supporting each other. We've been working together now for five years. And um, I just adore her. And so, you know, we're really, I'm really supportive of, of her next steps. And she's really supportive of my next steps. And so we just see these beautiful transitions happening within each other. So it's, it's, it's solid right now that Circle of Life Midwifery is alive and well and will be for a little while, but it, it might also mean in the next couple of years, a little bit of a, a transition 
in that. I mean, I know there's going to be a big transition when she stops practicing. Um, but as far as the practice is concerned, it might, it might shift and change a little bit in a couple of years. Yeah, practices are alive beings. <laughs> it's true. Cool. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your story. It was so rich. I think I might end up splitting it into two episodes. I'm going to see kind of like how it goes because um, the interviews that I've done so far are like with pregnant people. And so they obviously don't have as much to share about like pregnancy and birth, especially because you have three children. Um, but I just so appreciate you taking this time to share all of this with me and whoever decides to listen to this episode. Um, Holly, I, I feel like I, that was like, when I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna like this? There's so much story. Like there's so like, this was like the tip of the iceberg. And even as you were talking, I was like, oh, I want to ask her this question. I want to ask her this question. So also like we were talking about circle of life midwifery being alive like the my podcast is very alive also i think i might shift the structure of it to um accommodate being able to like go a little bit deeper and yeah so i'll i'll reach out to you if i can see how that maybe that would happen um yeah i could see um i mean you know and just talking i'm a big podcast listener so you know i i have a good amount of experience with hearing people being interviewed and how deep you can go and you know and picking out the little a little nugget to be like you know to go even deeper because there's you know in this conversation like this was a pretty surface conversation as far as you know these um experiences in my life and which is fascinating because I it's like, it's my life. This is my life. I'm yeah. talking about like, this is crazy, you know? Um, but there's been a, a lot of really deep, deep healing that's happened with a lot of these situations. And I, again, only tip of the iceberg with each of these pregnant, especially with my first, but, um, so yeah, I would, I would love to come back on at some point too, if you ever feel that's appropriate and listening back about anything, you know, I'm a pretty open, open book. I mean, it's a lot, but, um, yeah. Um, I'm so excited to listen back to this episode and I, I do, I think I'll be reaching out to you with some more questions and that will be exciting to dive a little deeper. Um, I'm so excited that you're doing a podcast. Me too. So good. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kara. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes as they're published. And also, if you can give us a rating and a review, this will help other people to find the podcast. Thanks again. Till next time.